Man, I appreciate that. Turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. I mean, you're glad you're here tonight instead of in prison. Okay, all right, a few of you are. Uh, some of you would rather be in prison. I can see that by the look on your face. And so uh, somebody told me that once. They said, hey, are you saved? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, then tell your face. Sometimes we need to do that. And uh, Genesis chapter 41. I'm glad you're here tonight. I appreciate my brother being in town. It's always good to see him and don't get to see him very often. And so that's nice, nice treat. And a special treat to see Michael Futrell here. I'm very, very proud of him and his family as well. Love them. Uh, Michael was a part of my church, him and his family, uh, when I was a pastor in North Carolina. And I've been knowing Michael since he's sixth, sixth, seventh grade, something like that. And uh, Michael's been faithful. God called him to preach in the junior high years, and he's been faithful to that. And I'm very, very proud of him. And count him as a dear friend, love his wife, love his little, his little girls, got a little knuckleheaded boy in the nursery as well, and just appreciate him so very much. Looking forward to spending a little bit of time with him this week. Also going to see Bill Hayes. And uh, Bill, um, boy, he, uh, I don't know which one was Bert and which one was Ernie, but one of you guys was. And, and uh, uh, Brother Bill, you were such an encouragement to me as a teenager, and I love you and I appreciate your investment and influence in my life. And uh, man, aren't you thankful for your life? People just put little bricks in here along the way to build you into who you are. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, again, as a, as a teenager, I, I'd like to think I was a, bl a blessing to the youth department. I was, I was faithful, I was involved, I did love it, uh, but I was mischievous, and um, I, I know I, I caused some headaches, and maybe that's why Miss Barb isn't here tonight. Uh, she's still recovering from scars and things like that, but uh, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm so thankful to see you, and uh, appreciate that you would take the time to come out. Genesis 41, I want to preach a Bible to you tonight. Uh, I do not ever apologize for preaching a Bible, nor should anybody, uh, but I was telling Brother Wally before the service, you know, sometimes you, you know, when you go and preach somewhere, if somebody brings you in as a guest speaker, I mean, they're just assuming that you're a good speaker, and you're supposed to bring the goods, uh, and, and uh, I want to make sure that I always preach messages that people are going to enjoy, uh, but more than that, you want to preach truths that are going to help. And I feel tonight, this is just kind of an encouraging message, trying to be a helpful message. As I preach in different churches and different places, um, there are certain things that I think every church needs to hear on a regular basis. Look, you can never preach enough about what those ladies sang about. Are any of you like me, if a preacher says, hey, we're going to talk about the subject of prayer, like, you're like, okay, we can just stop. I'm just going to come to the altar and be convicted and pray. I mean, like, you know, I mean, there's something we all need to hear about. Um, man, lately I've heard several messages in my life, God knows I needed them, on the idea of, of being a personal soul winner and, and my personal evangelism. Man, I, I think churches need to hear that all the time about sharing our faith with the Lord. Uh, but I also think that churches need a lot of encouragement. Um, there's no question it's easy to get discouraged in the sinful world in which we live in. Life can be brutally difficult sometimes. And so I tell our church, you know, encourage was like peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread around, better things stick together. And we always need to be encouraged. And so tonight I want to try and encourage you a little bit. If you're able to stand, let's stand. We're going to read the Bible together. Don't you love the Bible? Amen. Amen. We're going to read in verse 46. So we're talking about the life of Joseph. If I were to go around this room and ask you, who is your favorite character? I would imagine it wouldn't take us very long to get to somebody who said Joseph's their favorite character. And you, you'd pick a good choice. Uh, man, Joseph is a great character in the Bible. Probably, I mean, I know the Bible doesn't say much negative about him, if anything. I know he was a sinner like anybody else, but he, he is a mountain peak character in the Word of God. And so we're picking up in his life. 
If you know about Joseph, and I'm not going to assume that everybody does, because I know different levels of Bible understanding. Some of you haven't been saved very long. And so again, I'll I'll try and recap that. But where we're picking up is Joseph was a, a, a gifted young man, and we're introduced to him at 17 years of age. And he's blessed. He really is. But he ends up going through some really hard times in his life. He spends some time as a slave. He spends some time in a prison. And now he has been elevated to be the most, second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world at that time, the nation of Egypt. And that's where we pick up. I want to begin reading in verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So again, to put in context, he's experienced basically 13 years of bad times. I mean, rough bad times. You ever get to the place where you're like, man, I don't think I can take anymore. For 13 years he took it. It says there, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid upon the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands." Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me tonight to communicate a truth that will encourage and help the people of God that have gathered here tonight. I pray that your blessing would be upon this church and the people that have have carved out some time in their busy schedule to say that spiritual things matter to them and are important to them. And so I pray that you would equip and edify them and help them to be stronger Christians, stronger believers as a result of being here tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Appreciate you standing so long. I don't know if you've read any Puritan authors. Some of the Puritans were great, gifted biblical minds, but they had a way of using some flowery language that might be difficult for modern vernacular to process. But every once in a while, I like to read a sermon from an old Puritan author or some commentator uh, that wrote it during that era. And there was a Puritan man by the name of Cotton Mather. You may have heard his name if you've done any kind of puritanical reading. And Cotton Mather once had a quote, and this is what he said. And you really do have to put, did your teacher ever tell you, put your thinking caps on? You, you kind of have to process this a little. This is what he said. He said, religion begat prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. Religion begat prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. 
You see, what he's saying there is really something that happened to America, in my opinion. I think America's greatest problem is America, or our greatest problem is our prosperity. You see, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody that helped found our nation was a Christian. They weren't all Christians, but many of them were. And even the ones that were not Christians and were not believers, they had Christian principles and Christian uh, character, Judeo-Christian principles and values that helped establish our nation. And so as a result, religion created prosperity in America, if you will. You see, you understand what I'm saying tonight is even if you're a lost person, if you will follow biblical principles, you will be better off in your life, even if you're not born again. I mean, again, you will have more money in your pocket. You will have better relationships in your life. You will have more promotions in this world if you just follow biblical principles and do what God has said to do. And so that's what he's saying. Religion begat prosperity. The reason America has experienced unprecedented wealth and prosperity is a result of our Christian foundation, in my estimation and understanding. But it says there, since a result of that is prosperity, prosperity has devoured religion. You you, you understand what I'm saying? Prosperity has its own set of challenges. In fact, I would say this to you. Prosperity itself is a trial. And the truth of the matter is, is mo- many people, I would, maybe I wouldn't say most, but many people are not able to handle prosperity. A lot of people handle adversity because they have no choice. You just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Man, it's hard, and I'm going to plow through this, and I'm going to do it. But, but, you know, a lot of people, when things are going good, God is easily forgotten. Study the book of Judges. That's the whole cycle of the book of Judges. They did wrong. They were cursed. They were under oppression. They repented. God blessed them. They experienced prosperity, and they forgot God. That happened over and over and over and over again. And I think America's greatest problem is its prosperity, and it's killing us. It really is. You say, why are you saying all of that? Well, look at the character of Joseph. Joseph had nothing. He was a prisoner. He was on the bottom rung of bottom rungs, and in one day, his life changed. In one day, he had nothing, and it turned into everything in a 24-hour period. Now, how is somebody going to handle that? The truth of the matter is, is most people can't handle that very well. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's a good illustration to prove what I'm saying. Did you know that 70% of people or higher that that win the lottery and get $1 million or more go bankrupt within five years? Do you know why? Because they can't handle prosperity. Look at some of our athletes, some of these kids, and I I mean nothing bad by it, but they grow up with nothing, and at 18, 19, 20 years of age, they are given more money than they know what to do with. How many of them handle it very well? See, prosperity is difficult to handle. What's Joseph going to do? Let's show you what he he received in one 24-hour period. He is pulled out of a prison and interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, man, I'm elevating you to the top, buddy. Our text in this chapter says, first of all, he gave him a ring. You say, well, what does that mean? That means immediately he gave him authority. In those days, a ring was kind of a signet. It was was, was a stamp of of authority in his life. And so now all of a sudden, he was a prisoner, a nobody. Now he's in charge. Now, if you think about that, some people, you give them a clipboard and an orange vest, and they think they rule the world. A lot of people can't handle authority. I mean, come on, some of you know. You work with somebody, and they promoted a manager, and it was the worst thing that ever happened to that company. In one day, he was, made, he was made ruler of the world. He's got a ring on his finger. Then the Bible says that they gave him a robe. You know, I was studying this. You want to put fresh eyes on a story. I never thought about this until I was studying this recently. 
You know, Joseph lost two robes in his life. He lost his coat of many colors, and he came out of his robe when the Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him. Now he's got another robe. Basically, what Pharaoh is trying to say to him, well, listen, I'm going to give you the authority, but if you're going to have the part, you've got to look the part. And so he gives him these fancy clothes. Then you'll notice here he gives him a gold chain. What's that gold chain about? That gold chain was a, was a symbol of his rank. It's kind of like if you were in the military, it's like the chevrons on your arms or the, on your lapels. That's, that's exactly what, what he was given with that gold chain. And, and then they, they threw him a parade, man. He's, he's going down the streets of, of, of Egypt, waving at everybody. I mean, they're singing his name and singing his praise. You, you understand, a lot of people can't handle praise like that. you got to be very careful. Listen, sometimes even preachers, they'll say nice things about you uh, when, when you get up to preach. You better be careful you stop believing that stuff. And here they are, they're singing about him. They're waving at him. He's got his own parade. He's wearing these fancy clothes, got this chain telling everybody how important he is. He's got authority on his hand. They gave him a new name. They changed his name. Zaphnath Paneah means God speaks and, and he lives because he had interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And then Pharaoh said, I'm going to give you a wife. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I understand it wasn't the days and age of which dating in America. It was a little different there. And you can, you know, argue about that all you want, about feminism and whatnot. But he was given a wife. And if Pharaoh gave him a wife, how many of you would agree with me tonight? She was a pretty good looking woman. I mean, this guy, he had nothing and now he's got everything. How's he going to handle it? What is Joseph going to do with this immediate success? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Think about this, guys. Come on. We sometimes forget this in the Bible. Joseph did not have a copy of the Word of God like we have. He didn't have that. How many of you, when, when you're down and when you're struggling or when, man, everything's going well and you're trying to process all of this, man, we've got pages to go to. That's why Peter said we got a more sure word of prophecy. Isn't this wonderful? We can turn to this. We can read this. We can go to this in our hard times. We can meditate on its precepts and principles. We can live by its commands. We can, we can uh, memorize it and hide its word in our heart that we don't sin against God. He didn't have that. But I'll tell you what he did have. He did have God's word from some dreams. If you remember the story of Joseph, remember, Joseph was 17 years old and God came to him and gave him a dream. And God said to him in that dream, he said, listen, you, in this dream, Joseph saw, he, he saw sheaves of wheat, 12 of them, like his brothers, and they all started bowing down to his sheave of wheat. Then he had another dream. It was stars that bowed down to his star, and even the sun and the moon bowed down to him, signifying his mother and father were even bowed down to him. And basically what God was saying in a dream is, I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to exalt you. You are going to be elevated and exalted and promoted. And you know what? In all of those 13 years of trial, in all of those 13 years of problems, Joseph never forgot that. Guarantee you, he is down in that prison. He's thinking, man, things aren't looking good. But I'm telling you, the moon is going to bow to me. The sun is going to bow to me. Those stars are going to bow to me. Why? Because God has said it. God has said it. The Word of God navigated him and kept him all the way through life. And here's what I thought about that. You know, Joseph never got hung up on what he didn't know. He got hung on what he did know. And you know, sometimes Christian people are so shallow that they won't get hung on what they do know. They'll read some blog of some blowhard that thinks they know so much about the Bible, and they'll throw out one thing that somebody will say, well, man, I never thought about that before. Man, that is a good question. And instead of getting hung on all of the things that you do know, you get hung up on what you don't know. I'm glad Joseph wasn't ever like that. He said, man, God gave me this dream, and I know I don't see it happening, and I know it's been a long time, but I've got the Word of God to navigate me and help me. And by the way, he got hung on what God knew in Pharaoh's dream as well. Remember, Pharaoh had some weird dreams. How many of you ever had a weird dream before? Pharaoh said, man, I got a dream. It's been bothering me. 
He said, I had this dream, big old fat cows. I mean, some fat cows, seven of them. And then all of a sudden, here came these little skinny cows, ugly cows, sickly cows. And those sick cows ate up those fat cows. He said, I saw seven ears of corn, all kinds of corn growing up on those stalks. And then seven, this spindly, ugly, nasty stalks. And they devoured the, the, the good stalks. What's that mean? And Joseph said, well, here's what God said, because God's the interpreter of dreams. He said, you're going to have seven good years. You better enjoy them. Hey, you know, there's a great lesson on that. And I'm not going to preach that sermon. But listen, sometimes God gives you good times. Enjoy them. Because then sometimes bad times come. And you're going to need the lessons that you learned in the good times to sustain you in the bad times. And Joseph said, look, that's what we got to do. We got to save up all this good corn and, and, and make sure that we prepare for this famine land because we're going to have seven good years and we're going to have seven really bad years and we're going to have to get through this. And, and again, he got hung on what he, he did know. And so here, now that everything's going so great for him, he, here's a statement. It's not new to me. You've probably heard this before. He didn't undo in the dark what he had done in the light. And that's what we always need to do. So notice what he did. In verses 46 through 49, what he starts doing is he gets busy preparing for this. He starts touring the land and surveying things. No doubt he starts building storehouses and barns and strategic places and cities. The Bible tells us that he saved 20% of the crops every single year in those seven years. And that sustained him through all of those bad years. In fact, it didn't just sustain Egypt. It sustained all the lands of the earth. I mean, he, he really did an amazing management job there. But I want you to notice something. There are a couple of verses that are just thrown in here, verses 50 and 51 and 52. It's just, he just throws them in there, the Bible does. And I love when the Bible does these kind of things. You're going to see that even though he was in Egypt, yeah, this is still, it's still by way of introduction, stay with me. Even though he was still in Egypt, he was not an Egyptian. Say, what do you mean? Isn't that kind of what Jesus said to us in his high priestly prayer? I'm not praying that we take the believers out of the world. I pray that they remain in the world. But we say it this way. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Can I say that in this church? I think this is a good, strong, solid, biblical, conservative Baptist church. I hope I'm in good ground when I say this. We're to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world, folks. So what does that mean? What do I mean when I say that? I'm talking about a world, society that lives without God, society that doesn't care about God. I'm talking about anything that is actively hostile and passively harmful to God's will and God's way. That's the world. We're not to be like that. So, so can I just say this? This is a revival meeting, so I can preach a little bit, can I? Uh, can I just say this? We're not supposed to look like the world. I know that's not always popular to say, but, but don't you think a Christian ought to, ought to be concerned about our appearance? Well, I just thought God looks at the heart. Well, I understand, but, but the outward is a reflection of what's going on on the inward. And, and look, I'm not going to draw any specific lines for you tonight, but I, I do think a Christian ought to, ought to care if things are too, too tight or too revealing or too seductive or too attention-grabbing. I, I think we ought to think about those things because the fashion of the world ought not to, not to describe what, what, what I am because I'm, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. Uh, don't you think a Christian ought to... Ought to maybe not watch the things of the world. I mean, I, I think I'm on safe ground to say this. You ought not be watching House of Dragons or whatever that is. You ought not be watching that stuff. Now you can say amen or oh me, but I'm in this world. I'm not of this world. Uh, you, you know, I think we ought, to, we, we ought to say the philosophies of this world ought not impact us. You see, 
When I was younger, I heard a lot of preaching on that. Don't wear this and don't watch this and don't do that and don't go there. And, and there's a place for that. I just preach some of those things. And we need more of that, to be quite honest with you. But I want to tell you right now what scares me to death about the church is because we stopped preaching those things because it ruffles so many feathers, but we've allowed philosophies to just creep in the, in the church that are every bit as worldly as what you wear and what you watch and what, where you go. We become very materialistic. We become, we, we, we've embraced secular ways of raising our children. We've embraced ideas of feminism in the church. Again, you can say, you can like it or lump it, and if you don't like it, I'm leaving in a couple of days anyway. But, but I'm just saying, Joseph said, I, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in Egypt, but I'm not an Egyptian. He said, where are you getting all that? Let's pay attention. Notice in verse 50, and Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine, which Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. Isn't that interesting? His father-in-law was a pagan priest. His wife was full-blooded Egyptian. Verse 51. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Verse 52, and the name of the second was Ephraim. Those are blatantly Hebrew names. You know what Joseph's saying there? I got Egyptian clothes on. I'm wearing Egyptian authority. I got an Egyptian wife. My father-in-law is an Egyptian priest. I work for an Egyptian boss. My boy is going to be a Hebrew. My boys are going to be Hebrews because I'm a Hebrew. He never forgot who he was. And you understand this tonight, the names that he gave his sons, he did what he did very much on purpose. He named them on purpose. He named them Hebrew names, and he named them with specific names on purpose. Listen, we name names because we think they're cool. Now, now listen, if somebody comes up to you and says to you about one of your children, is that a family name? That means they don't like the name of your child. They think it's ugly. A lot of times what we do is we just try and think of some weird name that nobody else named their kid. You know, I'm going to name my kid Watermelon or whatever it is. You know, you just kind of, nobody else has named their kid that. Uh, my wife's name is Mindy and my name's Michael. And so we, we just, I know it's kind of cheesy or corny, but we have five children and, and we decided to name all of our children with M names. I'm Michael, she's Mindy. And so I named my firstborn daughter Molly. And then I have Matthew and I have Macy and I have Mary, and we wanted to give my youngest son a good Bible name, so we named him Maher Shalahashbaz. And we call him Mark for short. My daughter Mary is not spelled M-A-R-Y, it's spelled M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas. We just thought that was cute, we liked that, and that's what we named her, and, and it couldn't have been a better name. Now, we didn't know that when she was born, but she has been a very merry child. She just brings joy to our home. She's a smiley, sweet, affectionate young lady, and I, I, I just love Mary. And this guy, I love telling this story. It just kind of encapsulates Mary. I remember when she was younger, we were trying to teach her, we were trying to train her for the potty training, you know, and, and uh, I thought I had a dad moment going on, and it was just a treat in our home. Uh, my wife had bought some apple juice. We sat down at the dinner table, and she was in her high chair. I mean, she was just a little thing, and she had little chubby hands, and she saw that apple juice, and I remember she, she clapped her little chubby hands. She said, yay, apple juice. And I thought, man, dad moment. I'm going to get her. We're going to train this girl. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Only those that are potty trained sitting at this table can have apple juice. And my oldest two children are already potty trained. Thankfully, I'd gotten my wife potty trained. And so I, I thought I was going to take, take this opportunity. 
Uh, she said, yeah, hey, apple juice. I said, oh, no, no, only those that are potty trained can have apple juice. And it, you, you can't get this girl down. I remember she just looked right at me and she went, yay, water. <laughs> oh, foiled again, you know. She's Mary. But the truth of the matter is when we named her that, we did not know that she would grow up into bare resemblance to her name. For all I know, she could have grown up and hated Christmas. I don't know. But I will tell you this, that when Joseph named his boys, he wasn't naming them just because he liked the sound of those names. He had some real significance, and if we will pay careful attention to those two verses, 51 and 52, we'll find some pretty good lessons in our own life. I want to point out to you just two lessons learned from the names of Joseph's sons. Number one, here's the first lesson, first principle. In some ways, you need to be forgetful. In some ways, you need to be forgetful. The word Manasseh just simply means just that, forgetting. It means he who causes to forget. Now, let's be honest, sometimes forgetting can get us in trouble. There's a sign in a place I go get my hair cut, the barbershop I get, it says, you want to you make sure you remember your wife's birthday? Forget it once. That'll learn you. I heard the story of a preacher, a younger preacher. He was in a conference, and he heard an older preacher. You know how older preachers, I mean, from an era gone by, they would get up and they would tell jokes, just kind of lighten up the crowd, get them to like them before they would start preaching. This older preacher got up, and he was telling a joke. He, he was kind of playing it out like that. And he got up in front of the congregation, and he was just real smooth. He had been in front of congregations a lot, and he said, I have a confession to make. He said, I spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. Church kind of looked at him funny, and he paused for just a moment. He said, it was my mother. And they kind of chuckled, and he kind of warmed them up and got to preach. And the young preacher was sitting there going, I like that. He said, I'm going to use that. He went back to his church on Sunday, and he had practiced it in the mirror, and he had, he had rehearsed it, and he got up there, and, and he got up and he said, I got a confession to make. He said, I've spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of a woman that wasn't my wife. And I, uh, 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 I forgot what her name is. Man, his wife jumped up and said, my dad was right, you are a bum. And the deacon jumped up and said, throw this guy out of here. You know what I mean? Sometimes if you forget, it's going to get you in trouble. But you know, sometimes forgetting is exactly what you need to do. Let's be realistic tonight. You know, Joseph didn't forget his family. And just later in the next chapter, his brothers are going to show up, and he knows exactly who they are. And he didn't forget what they did to him. He, he knew that. He recognized who they were, and he remembered the events that occurred in his life. But here's what he forgot. This is important. He forgot the pain and the suffering that they had caused in his life. The founder of the American Red Cross was a woman named Clara Barton, and one day she was reminded of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. And this person kind of was, was bothered because Clara Barton acted as if she had never even heard of the incident. As the person told the story again, and still Clara Barton acted as if she had never heard of the incident. And finally the woman said, don't you remember that? And Clara Barton said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. That's some Christian wisdom right there. And, and here's what Joseph did in this text, and I love it. He took one look at this baby boy, and he forgot the last 13 years of hardship. He said, man, I've had a hard time for 13 years, but I'm telling you, God's erased all that. Look at this blessing in my life. 
Man, I was thinking of this text. I know this won't mean much to you, but I am a pastor, and I do love my people and love my church very much. There's a young man in my church. He's a, he, he's a great servant. He's a dear friend. He, he's in his 20s, but he's a, he's a wonderful guy in our church. He, he, he's, he stands six foot six tall. He, he, Brother Wally knows him. I mean, you just can't, he, Brother Wally said to me, he said, I can't believe somebody's that nice. He really is. Big hulk of a man, big hands, and just a big jolly guy. And recently he had a, he had a second child, in, and his first one is a daughter, and now he's got a son. And boy, he's proud that he's got a son. That baby was like 11 pounds when it was born. I mean, he's a big old dude. He's only like four months old now. I think he's up to 45 pounds now. Listen, Ezra's a big old man. He's got huge hands. And he walks around with that baby, and, and he'll carry this boy like it's a football. And he walks around the church carrying this boy like a football with the biggest grin on his face. And what, I mean, you just can't help but walk. What you got, Derek? This is my boy. You're like, why are you carrying a first grader around like that? Oh, no, he's only four months old. You know, I mean, he, he loves this baby. He loves this boy. And when I see Ezra with his son, I just, I just kind of think about Joseph. He's looking at Manasseh. He's saying, you know what I'm going to name this boy? I'm going to name forgetting. Forgetting because God has caused me to forget all of my troubles. Man, you look at that boy. I see him in the morning. I can't wait to get up and look at him and hold him. God has blessed me. I can't believe where God has brought me. I was in a prison. I was in slavery. But now I'm on top of the world. God's given me a wife and he's given me a job and he's given me a boy. Oh, God has given me blessings and it's caused me to forget all of my troubles. Isn't that wonderful? Man, don't you think when we're thinking correctly, we can recognize, yeah, I've had hard times in my life, but the good things in my life have way outnumbered and way outweighed the bad things in my life. That's exactly what Joseph was saying. And he made a conscious decision right there in that moment to forget all of the wrong and the bad that had been done to him. Manasseh was a reminder to Joseph that God had erased his past and given him a fresh start. How many in this room are glad that God gives fresh starts? How many are thankful that God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances? Oh man, praise the Lord for that. You know, we can't pursue our future while we live in the past. Isn't that what Paul wrote in the great book of Philippians? And by the way, Philippians was written, help me church, where was it written? In a prison. And the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And Paul writes there, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul gave us the same words of advice that are illustrating the story of, G of Joseph. Forget the things of the past so you can press on to the things of the future. Joseph made a deliberate decision not to let his trouble trouble him anymore. I'm just encouraging you tonight, when you let go of those things, you're free to move forward. Listen to me tonight. Somebody said it this way, you're either going to use your past like a rudder to navigate through or an anchor to drag you down. And you're going to have to make a decision on what you're going to do with that. Joseph had seen a lifetime of hardship by the time he was only 30. Let me just go over a little bit of the list of what Joseph had dealt with. He had dealt with favoritism. He had dealt with rejection by his family. He had dealt with mistreatment, injustice, false accusations, betrayal from close associates. But instead of letting that cripple him, it enabled him to face the future and it strengthened him to meet the obstacles head on. And I'm saying to you he, tonight, he could not control those things that happened to him, but here's what he could control. He could control his attitude. 
And listen to me, there are a lot of things in your life you cannot control. But you can always control your attitude. In fact, the Bible says that, the, that if you don't control your attitude, or, or rather I should say that somebody that controls their attitude, their spirit, is like a general that can conquer great cities. You're greater than that, actually, the Bible says. So let's make sure that we, for in, many, in some things, we need to forget. Number two, in all ways you need to be fruitful. I think when Joseph just thought it couldn't get any better than this, he had another son. You know, maybe he just thought, man, this is it. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. God's blessed me, I tell you what. And then God just laid some more blessings on him. And so here's what he names his second son, specific Hebrew name. He names him Ephraim, which means fruitful. In fact, it means double fruitful, twice fruitful. And basically what he's saying here is God gave me a second son, and God has given me blessings upon blessings. And he gave them this name because God had made Joseph fruitful in Egypt. Now listen to me, church. We can sit around and whine and complain about how dark it is. And do you ever believe we would see the day? Oh, no, I didn't believe we would see the day that we're seeing some of the things we're seeing. I'm with you. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I'm disgusted. I'm even angry about it sometimes. But listen to me. That is no excuse for us not to be fruitful in this world. And Joseph said, I'm in the middle of paganism. I'm in the middle of worldliness itself. And God has caused me to be fruitful. Now you understand this tonight. Joseph could have easily sat down and played the victim. And by the way, playing the victim card is very popular in the United States of America today. How do you know when somebody's playing the victim card? I'll give you two, two examples. One, victim mentality is when you blame everybody else for what happens in your world. I get so sick of that. It's always the pastor's fault. It's the youth director's fault. It's the youth department's fault. It's the teacher's fault. You know, it doesn't have anything to do that your kid didn't study. It has everything to do with the teacher. It's the coach's fault. It's the boss's fault. That's victim mentality. Man, I, I've seen situations where a kid got in a, a, a teacher was out of the classroom, kid got up and punched another kid in the face. And he said, but, but the kid that punched the other kid, it wasn't his fault. It was the teacher. The teacher shouldn't have left the room. Now, you can say the teacher shouldn't have left the room. That has nothing to do with that kid punching that guy in the face. But then, then it turned on, oh, well, the, that kid had it coming. Well, how many of you have ever known somebody that needed a punch in the face? Well, they still don't punch him in the face. Well, another kid told him to do it. Come on now, every mother in here that's over 40 years old has said, if a kid told you to jump off the bridge, would you do it? Stop blaming everybody else. That's victim mentality. You know, another way we can recognize victim mentality is when a person thinks that the future only holds bad things for them. I'll tell you what, there are way too many Eeyores in our churches. Now, I'm going to go on record. I don't like Winnie the Pooh. It's the dumbest cartoon they ever made. I mean, why does that bear wear a shirt and no pants anyway? That's weird. It's too slow. It's boring. It's, I, I don't like Winnie the Pooh. But you, you, you do know that character Eeyore in there. 
He's always walking around, got a storm cloud over his head. He's always, always talking on a downturn. And listen, I, I don't know this church real well. I know a lot of you. I know I'm preaching to some Eeyores tonight. Why? There's just some of us, that's our disposition. How you doing? Okay, I guess. Well, it can't be that bad. No, it's worse. Well, then you can't go anywhere but up. I doubt that. You know, there's people like that, you know? You're trying to pump them up. And, and then people like that, they get mad because nobody likes me. That's because every time we're around you, you're so negative and down and depressing. Nobody wants to be around that. I know. Everybody hates me. That's victim mentality. But do you see the connection between these two boys? Here's what the Bible's trying to teach us, I believe. You can't be an Ephraim. You can't be double fruitful until you're first a Manasseh. Until you forget all the bad things and the difficulties and the trials and the struggles and the downs in your life, you, you, you can't be fruitful. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you can't really be fruitful until you're also forgetting the things that you need to forget. You need to bury the past hurts and rejoice in the present blessings. That's being forgetful and fruitful at the same time. You see, what fruitfulness is, is being, uh, what fruitfulness is being held back, I'm asking the question, what fruitfulness is being held back in your life because you will not forget something that you should be forgetting? Yes, I understand. I don't want to come across callous. Oh, God knows I don't. Yes, I understand some bad things and hard things have happened to people in this room when you were children. It makes me so angry when people abuse innocent children. I think our penalties in this country ought to be stiffer and harder on those that abuse innocent children, especially when they're abusing and hurting innocent, pure children's sexuality. And I know that some in this room have even experienced that. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I'm not trying to minimize that. But I am saying this, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And God, like Joseph, can help you forget the things you need to forget and help you move forward so that you can be fruitful in your life. I'm not saying that to be callous. I'm slowing down on purpose. I don't want anybody to think that I'm just saying suck it up, buttercup, and move on and, you know, pretend like it. Uh, Joseph remembered the things that, but he, he forgot the trouble it caused in his life, and he recognized the goodness that God brought in his life. Listen, I understand. Sometimes your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend left you. I understand there's people in this room gotten fired or suffered a loss. But what I'm saying is when afflictions come, name them Ephraim and thank God for them. You say, what do you mean? Psalm 119, 71 says this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I was sharing with some of the preacher boys and Brother Wally even this afternoon, you know, some difficulties that have come in my life. That, that, that in, in many ways, it was good for me to be afflicted because you know what I learned? I learned principles. I learned the attributes of God. I learned, I learned about my own weaknesses and frailties, my own strengths and successes, and I would have never learned those without those afflictions. Amen. But you know, we were talking about some, some things this afternoon, and, and honestly, some difficult, hard things I've been through in ministry, and it was like, oh yeah, I forgot. We, we, we had that happen. Oh, I, I forgot that happened in my life. Why? Because, man, I'm looking, I'm looking at the Manassas and the Ephraims in my life not all those burdens and difficulties. That's what you got to do. And God can help you do that. 
You see, you can make a conscious choice of how you live your life. You can decide to spend your life trapped in the past, wallowing in despair and self-pity, or you can spend your life living in the joy of the Lord, being fruitful for Him in the land of your affliction. That's what the Bible's telling us. I want to ask you some questions. Don't check out on me. Sometimes I have to get on to my church because I'll say, I'm going to ask you some questions. You hear all their Bible covers zipping up. I don't like that. I'm not done preaching. This is the conclusion and application and invitation. We're not done. So I'm going to ask you some questions. What is it that you're remembering that you should be forgetting? Because what I've learned about my own self and the people that I minister to is sometimes we forget things that we should remember and remember things we should forget. Isn't that interesting that Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me? Now, now, brother, while you ever thought about that, why in the world do we have to be reminded to remember Calvary? I mean, that, that is the centerpiece of our entire faith. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that because we're prone to forget it. But then some of these things that we should be forgetting in our lives and naming them Manasseh, we'll hold on till the day we die. You know, I've gone and visited in some people's homes and I'm not saying literally, but figuratively, they brought me over to their mantle and they said, let me show you this rock that somebody threw at me. Back in 1974. You know what I'm talking about? That's the stuff you should be forgetting. We forget things we remember, we should remember, and remember things we should forget. Now, I'm asking you, that's a question again. What is it that you remember that you should forget? And I pray the Holy Spirit will bring something to your mind right now. Is there something you are forgetting that you should remember? See, when you're hurting, it's easy to forget how good God is. When you've lost something, it's easy to forget all of the blessings God's ever given you. Let's be like Joseph and say, man, look at this. Look at what God has given me. Give me this boy. And I forgot all my troubles. Come on, one more hand raising here tonight. How many say God's been better to me than I deserve? Okay, don't forget that. Forget that other stuff. Question number two. Is the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in your life? One of my favorite passages that is placed prominently in our home is Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I, I, that verse means so much to me in my prayer life. I say this all the time to the Lord. Lord, I know it's not always the case, but I want my life to be characterized, generally speaking, by those nine characteristics. I want that in my life. And I want to walk through this dark, disturbed, dysfunctional world when everything else seems to be falling apart. I want people to look at me and my life and my family and say, man, something's different about that guy. He's got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Something's going on in his life. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And God's given me double fruit in this dark world. Man, praise the Lord for that. Don't you want that? I want that. Have you been able to be a fruitful in your affliction? And I don't know what's going on in this church, but I imagine some of you walk through difficult times. I had a member in our church, his brother's only 24 years old, a drunk driver ran over and killed him. Just happened this week. And I look at that guy's life, and I see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, his tears rolled out his face. And I want that. Don't you want that? That's what Joseph's saying. God's made me double fruitful in a, in a fruitless place. I pray, Lord, to help us tonight. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to my heart and helping me with this. And I just pray you'd help this church. There's some good people here. And I want to equip them and help them. And uh, I just pray that you'd work. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, again, I'm not going to try to manipulate you to do anything, but I mean, say, preacher, I'm going to be honest with you, there's been some difficult things in my life, hard things in my life, things I, I don't ever want to go through again. But I want the Lord to help me just kind of forget that stuff. How many of you feel that way tonight? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. All over this room, I have no doubt about it. You can put your hands down. How many of you would say, I want to have fruitfulness in this world in which we live in? I need that. I want that. And I want you to pray for me that God will give me that. How many of you feel that way tonight? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to come forward in just a moment if you raise your hand. I'm not going to manipulate you. You can turn around and pray in your seat. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have to go up there. No, you don't have to, but it's, it's good to humble yourself. And bend your knee and make a meeting with God and just say, God, help me forget this in my life. God, help me be fruitful in my life. Let's all stand to our feet as our friend begins to play on the piano. Why don't you come and pray and talk to the Lord tonight? There's something you might need to leave there. Just say, God, I'm forgetting about this. I'm forgetting about my past, and I know I messed up. I know, I know, man, I, I know I, I'm leaving the shame. I'm leaving the guilt. I'm leaving the hurt. I'm just going to name that Manasseh. God has ca- caused me to forget that. And I want you to walk up from this altar, or get up from your chair, and just say, God, I want to be fruitful. Du- I don't just want fruit. I want double fruit. I pray the Lord to help us tonight. Really give us healing and grace and encouragement to go, go to work and go to school and go to our neighborhood tomorrow and just be fruitful, forgetting the trouble and the hurt and the pain in our life because God has given us way more blessings. Thank the Lord for that.